Good morning. It is uh, good to be here with you guys. Um, I had a pretty decent semester. Um, school was good. Uh, the highlight of, of my time down south this past semester has been just being involved with a church um, in Anaheim. It's called City Church, and um, I, I'm, I'm a small group leader for, for that church. And one of the things that really encouraged me uh, was uh, I, I, there, there's, um, there's a guy that I've been like, talking to, spending a lot of time with, and um, a few, um, maybe a month, a month and a half ago, uh, his, I got an email completely out of the blue from a, a woman, and she said, I, I've never spoken to this woman before, and she said, uh, I just want to thank you for, for the work that you, you're doing um, at, at City Church, and I want to thank you for spending time with my son, because uh, since he's joined your group, since he's been involved with the church, I have seen him change, and just, uh, he, he hasn't really found a church in the years that he's been at college, and he's finally found a church, and... I just want to thank you for the time you spent with him. I can tell that he's changing, and I can tell that um, something is happening to him that hasn't happened before. And when I got that email, I was, I was so encouraged. I was so glad that something I was doing was, was taking effect, that it was having an impact on someone. And that is what I want my ministry to be. I want my, my ministry to be effective. I want people to change um, as I work with people. And, uh, and I just took so much joy in that. Uh, today we're going to look at a passage that speaks about joy in ministry, and more specifically, a joy that goes beyond ministry. And today as we look at the text, it's going to be in Luke 10, I want us to um, see three things. Number one, that um, we have great authority to do ministry. Um, I know a lot of you guys are um, actively involved in ministry, or you may be doing stuff with um, people that you're hoping to bring to the Lord. Um, number two, I want us to see that we have a standing before God, and that standing before God is more important than what we do, either in ministry or in other areas of life. Number three, that our endurance comes from joy, that our endurance comes from joy. So the title of our, uh, our message today is A Greater Rejoicing, A Greater Rejoicing, and as happy people, and as people that have a hope to look forward to. I want us to get a sense of what it is that we rejoice in. So before we do that, will you just uh, pray with me? God, we thank you so much for speaking through um, sinful, frail, weak instruments uh, like myself, and I pray that the power of your word would take effect regardless of the fact that you have a weak messenger, God. And may you speak to us. May you um, not just stick this in your head, but stick this into our hearts, God. And may this, may we walk away with a greater sense of how rich you are and how rich uh, a treasure we have in you and how much we can rejoice in you, God. And God, just, we give this time over to you in these next few minutes. In Jesus' name, amen. Alrighty, so let's turn to uh, Luke chapter 10, or actually this is already in your bulletin. Luke chapter 10, verse 17 through 20. And to give us a little background as to what's happening here, um, Jesus has sent out uh, a bunch of his disciples, and he's, he, he sent them out to preach and to heal. Um, he sent them out in a, gr- a group of actually 72 of his disciples, and they are sent out, and 
in chapter 10, verse, 7, in chapter 10, verse uh, 17 through 20 of, uh, of the book of Luke, we see that the disciples are coming back to Jesus, and they're reporting to Jesus what they have seen. So let's read the first verse, or the first verse of our passage, verse 17. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Now these disciples, they're, they're, uh, they come to Jesus, they're saying, Lord, you've sent us out to preach, you've sent us out to heal, um, and beyond that, we're able, to, uh, we're able to cast out demons. The demons were subject to us in your name. And they found that they could do even more than what they, they thought they could do as they, as they were sent off to do the work of ministry. And you can imagine the excitement that they felt. We were able to preach with success. We were able to heal people. And even beyond that, we were able to cast out demons. Even the demons are subject to us in your name. And they, they saw that there was power. They had great authority. They had uh, power to do the work of the Lord. And uh, in all their joy, um, you, can, you can just... I mean, imagine if you were able to... Uh, cast out demons in, in, in the name of the Lord. What excitement would you feel? Um, you know, we, we're not, we don't, uh, we don't do ministry like that. Like, I don't know, like, when was the last time we casted out a demon here at this church? Or when was the last time you did something like that? But still, we see that we've done, that the Lord has done um, incredible things through us, through our lives. And I think I can point to um, even this group of people here. Uh, if, if, if you told me five years ago that you guys would be here, that you guys would be able, you guys would be able to exhibit the growth that you have, I would not believe you because um, back in our days at our, at our previous church, there was there was such a long period of I, I just felt there was stagnation and dryness, and it seemed like nothing was happening, and I c- could not have imagined that in the past few years that we would have received the teaching that we have that our that people's Thinking and our 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 um, our values and our priorities would have changed the way they would have, uh, and this is not because uh, we were able to do something um, on our own strength, but it's because the Lord has done something great through people like Darren Shung and Para and Pastor Michael and uh, and Sean and all those people that have taught us that have brought us to where we are through the faithful faithfulness of people like. Um, and Tommy and, and Hal and Sammy and um, Marshall and everyone coming together and everyone doing the work of the Lord. We've seen that things have happened, at least for me, things have happened beyond what we could have imagined, what I could have imagined a few years ago here in this, in this um, ministry. So let's move on to verse 18 of this passage. Jesus is saying, uh, he's affirming the work of the disciples. He's saying that something is happening because of what they've done. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. When Jesus says that he saw Satan fall from heaven, the scholars are sort of divided as to what this means. Did, did Jesus um, see, actually see a vision of Satan falling from heaven? Or was it a prophetic declaration of what was going to happen as a result of the ministry of the disciples? Uh, we're not really sure, but what, what this is pointing to is that Jesus is saying, your work, your ministry has a tangible effect. Something is taking hold and something is happening. So he's affirming what they've done. 
And how were they able to be so effective in their ministry? How were they able to cast out demons? How were they able to preach with success? And how were they able to heal? Jesus, uh, Jesus tells them what kind of authority they had as we move on to verse 19. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Jesus is telling his disciples, I've given you this authority. The reason why you're able to do these great things is because you have the authority that I've given you. It's not because you're smart people. It's not because you guys have a lot of skills. It's not because you guys have the right connections. It's because you have the authority of the Lord. This is why you're able to be effective in ministry. So for the, for the, for the disciples, um, they, as they did the work of ministry, they, whenever, what, as they did the work Satan and, and, his, and his minions, the demons, they were confronted with a powerful adversary. They were confronted with the power of the Lord. And this is the same for us. As we do the work of ministry, we are doing a spiritual work. I know that as, for our church, we don't have... Um, I don't, like if you guys... Uh, uh, Sean was mentioning this earlier. If you guys, if you guys have watched Christian TV, you might have seen churches that have people rolling around in the ground, or they're foaming at the mouth, or they're—I don't know. There's this crazy stuff happening in churches. Um, we're not really like that. Uh, I don't think I've seen. I don't know if I've missed anything while I was away for school, but we're not really like that. And um, you know, some people go go all nuts about you know just everything is you know. There's I wasn't able to find a parking spot because Satan was against me. That's not what. We really believe, um, but what the work that we do do is spiritual in nature, and we actually do engage in spiritual warfare. And our church, one of the things I love about the church is that we're very grounded in the word. We're grounded in um, uh, just what the word says, and we're, we're sort of like uh, more. I would say we're more intellectual than um, other churches might be. We we put a focus on an emphasis on teaching and what the word says. But beyond that, that's not ultimately what's... Ultimately, our goal is not to fill our brains with uh, Bible knowledge. It's for us to be transformed. And it's for us, it's for us to, to counter the, the power of the enemy. There is spiritual warfare going on. And there's a spiritual war going on even in our own lives. There, there is... The power of the word, the power of the Lord that's fighting against the work of the enemy, in, even in our lives, even in our own temptations, even in our own sinfulness. There is a spiritual war going on. And Jesus is saying that for yourself and for the work that you do amongst others, you have an authority to defeat these, these powers. So like these disciples, we have, he, uh, Jesus also mentions here in verse uh, 19 that we just read, uh, nothing shall hurt you. We have protection. We are protected from the enemy. Um, the enemy may be able to resist us. The enemy may be able to cause us harm. But ultimately, they will not win. We will win in the end because the Lord has promised you will be protected. The body, uh, they may kill, but the, the strength of the power of the word uh, will, will sustain us and we will be protected from the attacks of the enemy. 
So you can imagine as the disciples are hearing this, the disciples have come to Jesus. They've said, they've, they've learned that, you know, we can, do the, we can do all these things. We can heal. We can preach. We can cast out demons in the name of the Lord. Uh, and he's saying, and Jesus is saying, yes, what you've done is true. What you've done is a work of the Lord. And you have protection. You have authority. And you can imagine just for the disciples how much excitement they felt. They're like, yes, we want to continue doing what, we, what, what we've been doing. We're going to continue to have success. And Jesus tells them in verse 20, he warns them. And it's a, it's a gentle rebuke. And it's also an encouragement to them. As we move on to verse 20, we hear Jesus saying this. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And this moves us to our next point. Our next point is that our standing before God is more important than what we do. Our standing before God is more important than what we do. That's the second point. So Jesus is saying, don't rejoice in the fact that these subjects, that these demons are subject to, to you. He's saying, rejoice in the fact that your name is written in heaven. So what is Jesus saying here? Is he saying that we, sh- we shouldn't be happy that things are happening at this church? We shouldn't be happy that, um, that, there's, that the coworker or the friend that you're sharing Christ with, their heart is softening? Um, should we not rejoice that our church is growing? Should we not rejoice in the fact that God's kingdom is spreading around the world? Is that what he's saying? We, we see what, uh, we get a clue as to what Jesus really means when, when we look at the original uh, Greek text. And I know that this will only be of interest to a few of you guys, so bear with me. But it's important what we see in the original language here. The word that Jesus uses for rejoicing is sarite. And for the uh, Greek nerds, I know that we have a few in here. Um, it's, it's, sarite, this means uh, continual rejoicing. And this is a Present active imperative, if you want to get technical. It's a present active imperative. And what it means is that there, it's not that we can't rejoice in the fact that work is happening, that God's work is succeeding. Uh, Jesus is saying, do not continually rejoice. Do not continually rejoice that, that these things are happening because these things will not ultimately last. These, there is something greater than what is happening. So what do we continually rejoice in? Jesus is saying this. He's saying, your names are written in heaven. Your name is written in heaven. And this is why you should rejoice. Our standing, our, the fact that we have a relationship with God trumps any success that we have in ministry, trumps any success that we have in living out our, our lives as Christians. So our successes and our failures in ministry, there's no guarantee that those will last, and they will not last uh, ultimately beyond your life. But what is permanent? What can you continually rejoice in? The fact that we have a relationship with God, the fact that we have our names written in heaven. And Christ here, as, he, as he's telling his disciples this, he's reprioritizing their, their values. He's saying... It's not what you do that matters. It's your relationship with the living God that matters. He's reprioritizing even for us. We place such an emphasis on what we can do, our effectiveness, on our usefulness. But Christ is saying that something greater, there's something greater than that. And that is your relationship with God. What matters more than what you do is who you are. 
And this is a go- an echo of the gospel, isn't it? The gospel says that there's nothing that we can do to earn favor with God. There's nothing we can do to earn a better position, uh, to earn more favor with, with the Lord. But it's the Lord that does all the work. It's the Lord that, that ultimately saved us, not because of what we've done, but because of the work that Christ has done. And the most important thing in the whole world is what, Christ, or what God has done through Christ. And what has God done? He's brought us near through the blood of Christ. So it's because of what Christ has done that we can stand before God. It's because of the blood of Christ that we can stand before God and say, I have a right relationship with you. Not because I've done something good in ministry. Not because I can keep the rules. But because of what Christ has done. So... As, as whatever title we have, whether it be a minister, whether it be a husband or a wife or a student or an employee or a friend or any other thing we can do, we, we, we may find joy in the things that we do as those things. And we may find comfort in the fact that, hey, I'm a good student, I'm doing something well, or I am a good spouse, I'm loving my husband or my wife well, I'm ministering to them well, um, I... At, I may be doing ministry well. I may be able to teach well, or I may be able to lead worship well, or I may be able to uh, usher or do the congregational prayer well. I may be able to be a good employee and have effectiveness as salt and light in the workplace. And we may find our value, we we may find our joy in that. But what is Christ saying here? Don't rejoice in that. Don't rejoice in the fact that you are useful. Don't rejoice in the fact that you are effective. Um, you, it's okay to sharpen those skills. It's okay to build yourself up in that respect. But you cannot place ultimate priority on that. There's a time coming when we won't be a spouse or an employee or a friend or a minister. There's a time coming when the only thing, the only title, the only position that we have will have is that we are children of God. And, and in heaven, there's no such thing as, as um, uh, minister. I mean, there's not going to be anyone like, while, while everyone else is worshiping God, there's not going to be someone else in like room like 2C. Hey, this guy's leading a workshop on um, how to, uh, how to uh, study the Bible. There's not going to be that. I mean, I'm not going to be doing that in heaven. And I'm so glad I'm not going to be doing that in heaven because worshiping God is so much better than Preaching the word, worshiping God is so much better, and being a child of God is so much better than my occupation or your occupation as an engineer or someone in finance or as a student or as a parent or a spouse or or as a child. And as we continue to walk, I don't know if this is true of you guys, I'm guessing it is, as we continue to walk in the Christian life, we'll we'll start noticing, um, you know, I'm not able to maintain these these commitments that I've made. I'm not able to be as useful or as effective or as good as I want to be. And uh, if you're anything like me, you'll, you'll, you'll find that the more that I continue in the walk with the Lord, the more I see that there's nothing I can do without God. There's nothing I can do without His power in my life. And I am... Um, I must confess, as someone in seminary, I don't read the Bible as much as I should. I don't pray as much as I should. I don't love people as much as I should. And 
there have been times when I've just been like, when lying in bed, I'm, I'm, I'm saying to God, like, how much have I failed today? How much have I sinned? And how, how ineffective have I been as a minister because I'm so sinful, because I have not spent time with you in the Word? How ineffective am I? If I were to base my joy on that, the fact that I could keep the rules, the fact that I could maintain something with God, then I'd be a horrible person. I'd be in, I'd be in a horrible state. I'd, I'd be miserable because our joy cannot come from what we do and our performance for God or in what we can do for God. Our joy must come from what Christ has done for us. Our joy must come from what God has done for us in Christ. If God, if God loves us, if God loves you guys, he would not continue to, uh, he, would not, he would not allow you to base your success on how well you do things, on how well you can uh, read the Bible, or how well you can maintain the relationships in your life, or in how well you can be, how well you can be, how useful or effective you can be on the job or in ministry. God will bring us to a place where we will see that there's nothing else that matters but God. That there's nothing else that we have besides God. We don't have our skill. We don't have our relationships. We have nothing else besides God. And when Jesus says, do not rejoice that the demons are subject to to you. He's saying, don't... He's saying, number one, don't rejoice in the fact that you can be effective and useful in ministry. Rejoice in the fact that your name is written in heaven. This trumps everything else. The fact that you have a relationship with God. So in light of that, what really matters? What matters in light of the fact that we have a relationship with God? Are we concerned about being uh, useful? Are we concerned about being able to do a lot of stuff in ministry? Are Are we concerned ultimately about keeping the rules or maintaining um, a mask of righteousness? Or are we concerned about our relationship with God? Are we willing to let ministries um, become secondary? Are we willing to let relationships with friends become secondary? Are we willing to let our work become secondary to our relationship with God? What do we really value? And this is not to say that what we do doesn't matter. It's, it's to... Um, I, I, I'm, I'm fully... Uh, I fully appreciate and I fully uh, encourage sharpening our skills as ministers or as musicians or as um, workers. I fully uh, encourage you guys to, to be the best at what you can be. But what we do is secondary to who we are. We're children of God. And our, our, our whole person needs to be defined by the fact that we are children of God our Heavenly Father. And everything else stems from that. Everything else comes from that. So what, we do, what, what, what are we doing in our lives right now to cultivate that relationship? What are we doing to, main, to cultivate not our performance, not our, not our uh, ministries, but our relationship with God? And at the end of this message, I'll, I'll just talk about some practical ways we can do that. But for, for us right now, just think about Am I cultivating what really matters, or am I placing my priorities on something else? So what are the implications for that? This leads us to our next point, our final points. Number three, that our endurance comes from joy. That our endurance comes from joy. So these disciples, they eventually entered a phase where uh, every, not everything was PG Keen. They, they, as they went out and as they did ministry, 
many of them were killed for their faith. They met continued resistance to the work that they were doing. They were opposed by more and more people as they spread the message of the gospel, as they spread the message of Jesus. So how, did they, how were they able to sustain the work that they did? Jeez, I, th- I think they were, they were thinking about, I think they were uh, impressing on their souls the fact that, or this, this, this truth that Jesus said to these people, to the disciples, do not rejoice that you're able to be effective. Do not rejoice that you have success in ministry, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven and nothing will ever erase that. Uh, as there, there's, if you guys, have you guys ever heard of a guy named William Carey? He's the, uh, he's called the grand, he's called the uh, grandfather of modern missions or the father of modern missions. And he was a missionary to India in the late 18th century. And when he went there, he, uh, he as he, as he went to the mission field, he, he saw a lot of, he was able to do a whole lot of work. He was a social activist. He was able to, um, one of the most notable things was back in, there in India, they had a practice called widow burning, which meant that if a husband died, the wife would, uh, would jump on the funeral pyre. So they would burn the body of the husband, and the wife was supposed to jump on that funeral pyre and be burned alive with the husband. William Carey was the main figurehead against that, against that practice. And uh, he also... Just, uh, there were a, b- bunch of, a bunch of other social um, things that he was involved in, social reform, and he was involved in agriculture. Um, he, he, people say that modern India was built on the work that William Carey did when he was a missionary there in India. Um, some other notable things he did was he translated and published uh, the entire Bible in six languages, and also the New Testament in 29 more. He uh, he, 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 he introduced the largest printing press India had ever seen at that point. And he started over 100 Christian schools. Um, and the first Christian school ever for girls in India hit him and along with his coworkers. But beyond that success, he saw much, much defeat and much failure as he continued in his work in, in his missionary work in India. He was constantly criticized. He was constantly uh, gossiped about, even among his own co-workers um, back, in his, back, uh, back home. Uh, from his own missionary society, who promised him support, they didn't send him a single cent for 17 months. So he had to sustain the family. He had to um, work for his family that entire time. His first co-worker, the, for the amount of money that they did have, his co- first co-worker squandered all that money, and he bankrupted the mission in the first year. So William Carey, on top of his missionary work, he had to work on a plantation uh, to support his family. His wife went insane while he was on the mission field. She constantly accused him of cheating. And as he translated the Bible in one room of the house, his wife would be screaming her head off in the other room, yelling at him. And she, sometimes she, she would chase him around the house with a knife, accusing him of cheating on her. His son died when, he was five, when, his, when the child was five years old. Can you just imagine the pain that he, would, he felt as he watched his son die on the mission field? A fire destroyed his warehouse. And in that warehouse was, was all his printing press, all his printing presses, um, all his paper stock, uh, 
a whole lot of manuscripts, which represented years of work, all up in flames. Um, and it was seven years that he worked before he, he made his first converts, before he saw anyone come to Christ. How did William Carey continue? How did William Carey endure as he did ministry, as he faced all that defeat, as he faced all that discouragement? What sustained William Carey? There are several biographies about William Carey, and then I found um, a journal entry of his that he wrote, dated uh, April 23rd, 1794. And this is what William Carey writes. He says that I've faced countless defeats. I have seen so much failure, and I've seen so much discouragement. But it's God, it's joy in God that sustained him. And this is William Carey's journal entry. Um, it's 200 and some years old now. With all the cares of this life and all its sorrows, yet I find that a life of communion with God is sufficient to yield consolation in the midst of it all, and even to produce, and even to produce a holy joy in the soul, which shall make it to, tri- to triumph over affliction. I have never yet repented of any sacrifice that I, that I have made for the gospel, but find that consolation of mine which can come from Christ alone. William Carey rejoiced in God. William Carey rejoiced in his relationship with God. That's how he was able to endure. That's how he was able to continue in the work that he was doing. And our third point, the fact that joy comes, or endurance comes from joy, this is true for us. If you guys have ever, if you guys have ever like, experienced something just really um, worth rejoicing in, something really, that made you really happy, you'll know that there's something in it that will make you do things that you could otherwise not do. If you've ever been in a romantic relationship, you know that if you're in love with someone, you'll do crazy things. You'll drive long distances to see that person. You'll spend, you'll, you'll lose sleep for that person, just to spend time with that person. You will just buy dumb things that, I don't know, whatever you lovers buy for each other, that I, like, as a single person, I'm like, why would you spend like $7 for someone else? That's just crazy. But there's something beyond that. Joy will make us do things that we otherwise will not do. And joy gives us a strength that willpower cannot do. So we can say we're going to continue drudging along in our ministry. We're going to continue uh, in this relationship. We're going to continue to uh, do whatever we're doing for years and years and years. And it'll kill us if we don't have joy in that. We have to take the example of Jesus who... Endure the cross. Why? How was he able to do it? For the joy set before him. Christ endured the cross. We see that in Hebrews 12. So as we close our time, may we consider how, may we consider that there's nothing better to rejoice in than the fact that we have a relationship with God. And may we rejoice in our relationship with God so much so that we can continue throughout years of ministry so that we can, can continue in our fight against sin, even when we are defeated, so that we can continue, that joy would be the strength that we have as we continue in those tough relationships. And as we continue to learn, as we, as we continue in our ministry, as we learn to give of ourselves, of our money, of our time, of our resources, as we learn to sacrifice, may we find not willpower, to sustain us, but may we find joy in that. There's nothing we have better than our relationship with God. 
So how, do, how can we cultivate that? And uh, I just want to close with a couple practical points. How do we cultivate our relationship with God so that we will rejoice, so that our relationship with Christ will be the main priority? I just have a couple things. It's uh, number one, just basic. It's the things you guys have always heard. Number one, pray. Pray that God will do a work in us. And I, I'm learning this now is that um, God does not always answer prayer immediately. Actually, he usually doesn't answer prayer immediately. Um, we learn to wait on God. We learn to pray uh, even when it seems like nothing is happening. God's promise to us is that the work that he began in you, he will continue. If you are a true believer, God is working in us. And God is lovingly working behind the scenes in a thousand ways that we cannot comprehend. Pray that God will give you a joy that goes beyond anything else, that goes beyond this, these, these sins that we take joy in or these relationships that we put all our stock in. Pray that God would replace those with something better, with this, with this holy rejoicing, with this greater rejoicing. And number two, it's to read. Um, you read, there are so many good books that will talk about Christ, that will talk about what God has done. Um, and ultimately, this is the main thing you want to look at. It's your Bible. Read the Bible. Read the Bible so that, in such a way that you learn what Christ is. We learn that Christ is great. We learn that Christ is holy. We learn that God is greater than anything, and God gives more pleasure than any sin can. God can give more pleasure than any ministry success can. Read and pray and find joy in Christ. And as we, through the years, as we come to, as we, as we, as we see more of Christ, and as we, as we look at this, this true portrait of Christ, we'll, we'll find that this is what sustains us, that we find all our joy in this. And when we come to those times when we feel discouraged in ministry, we'll find that there is a greater joy. There is a greater joy that will sustain us. When, we went, when we're tempted to look at certain things on the computer, what is it that's going to keep us from clicking that link? Is it mere willpower or is it joy in God? There's something so much better in Christ. Or when we're tempted to, uh, to mistreat other people, when we're tempted to not love our enemies, what is it that's going to make you love someone else? Is it going to be willpower? Is it going to be just commands in our heads, okay, I need to do this, let me try to do it? Or is it going to be a greater joy? A joy in that, that you have been loved by God and you have been shown a grace that you don't deserve. And that's why you are able to love others. That's where you are able to show grace to others. Read the Bible and pray. This is my, I guess, my, uh, the, what I, what I want to say today is find your joy in these things and find your joy in God. Will you guys pray with me? God, we thank you so much for the work that you've done through um, through faithful ministers, and it's because people are faithful. It's because people have seen success in ministry that we are able to stand here at Marshall Elementary as the family of Indelible Grace Church. And we rejoice in the fact that you are doing something great here. But beyond that, we rejoice in the fact that our names are written in heaven. And God, impress that in our souls, that nothing else matters more than our relationship with you, than our standing with you, God. And may we be people that live lives 
of unexplainable joy so that when people see us, they will go, what is happening in that person? Why are they so happy when it's so easy to despair, when it's so easy to give in to temptation, when it's so easy to write things off and say things are hopeless? God, make us a joyful people. Show us that there's nothing greater to rejoice in than you, God. We thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.